the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whether you call them in or they're sent in. We prefer your calls. You're more interesting than I am. And all you have to do to get those questions answered is call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free by dialing 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, or you can use the free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in to us that way. Uh, if you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, just hit the Call Now banner at the top of your screen, and you will be connected directly to our in-studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. I'm really counting on you to call today because I'm going to start uh, today. I've received three President Trump questions, and so I'm going to try to go through those, and then uh, then we'll move on to some of the Bible questions. Uh, the first one comes from Mark, and Mark says, does Romans 13 indicate that Trump was God's choice for president, and if so, why wouldn't every Christian support him? Uh, Mark, a couple of things. Romans 13 talks about government. God has given us government, and government is for our own good. But God doesn't involve himself in the affairs of the individual people who are chosen. I mean, if you take this, God is the God of the whole world, that would mean that Hitler was God's choice uh, to be the Fuhrer way back in, in World War One or World War Two rather. Um, that, that other evil men uh, and or women throughout the century, well, God chose them. No, it's not the person. And this is important. It's not the person, the individual. It's just the office or the authority. So it's very important. Um, God didn't make sure people voted for Trump. Uh, he knew who was going to win. He always knows everything. But no, Donald Trump was not God's choice for president. Now, I want to deal with the second part of your question as well. Uh, you said, well, why wouldn't every Christian support him? Um, you know, Mark, one of the things that we have to understand, now, as Christians, we have typically a, a more conservative view of things. We certainly have a different view on issues of morality. And typically, and I'm being very general here, Mark, typically, um, Republicans are closer in terms of representing those values. And so there's a lot of Christians who are Republicans, and and uh, they vote that way. However, it is so arrogant to think that anybody who votes for a Democrat or anybody who votes for a, a pro-abortion candidate or anybody who votes for, uh, and you can name your 
pet issue. Uh, well, they can't be saved. They must not be saved. I think many times their votes are ill-informed. I think their votes are certainly not formed by what the Word of God says. But it is foolish of us. It is arrogant of us, frankly, to think that to be a Christian, you have to vote the way I vote. You have to agree with my principles. Um, that's simply not true. Um, and one of the things, you know, we're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if we represent better, we, if we misrepresent Jesus as being a Republican, then we're missing out on on more than half of our audience that needs to hear about Jesus. This is why Christians, Mark, shouldn't really be involved in politics. Now, we should vote. We, we're certainly entitled to our opinions. Um, but when we make politics, when we make a, a, a platform, um, our little idol, well, then what we're missing out on is an opportunity to have any credibility in terms of our witness for Jesus Christ. Um, Donald Trump is a man who, whose very life uh, is contrary to Christian values. Um, the fact that he is pro-life, I'm grateful for that. The fact that he's made some great decisions as it relates to our economy and deregulation, some other things, things that matter to me personally. Uh, that's great, but, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to give him a pass and take him to heaven. This is a man who desperately needs our prayers. He desperately needs to repent of his sins, and he needs Jesus. Now, there's a couple of callers who get angry every time I uh, answer questions about Trump uh, with any criticism at all. It's almost like I'm blaspheming God. Jesus loves Donald Trump. Jesus wants Donald Trump to come to heaven. And the only way he's going to do that is to truly be born again. So, Mark, I hope that answers your questions. The second one comes from Allison, and she says, uh, if Trump gets impeached, what does it mean for our country, for Christians? Uh, if I understand your question correctly, Allison, um, your, your question is, if he's not the president, uh, is it going to be harder to be a Christian? Are we going to be persecuted even more so? Uh, there's a real possibility of that. I think this is one of the Christian, one of the things every Christian needs to consider. I mean, we need to toughen up. I always call it get our big boy trunks on. We need to toughen up. We need to understand that it's when Christians are being persecuted throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years, it's when Christians are being persecuted that the church really thrives and the church really grows. I think one of the reasons, Allison, for the, the lack of effectiveness in the Christian church is we've grown too comfortable. So what does it mean for us? Who knows what it means for us? Now, a couple of things. One, don't worry about it because he's not going to be removed from office. I can guarantee that if he, he may lose the next election, I I think that's highly unlikely at this point. But But if he goes through the impeachment process in the House of Representatives, it will never get through the Senate, so he is not going to be removed from office. To be impeached just means that he is going to be called to account, and and, and uh, it will move sort of like a trial moves, and move a trial onto the Senate. He will never be removed. So I wouldn't worry at all about that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me get to my third and I hope last Donald Trump question ever. This is from our email inbox from Nacho. Uh, he says, I know that President Trump may not be a Christian, and that's not my point, but in his role as president, would Proverbs 24, 21, and 22 apply to him today? Let me read it, and then we'll talk about the question, Nacho. Uh, verse 21 it says, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with the rebellious, for those two will send sudden destruction upon them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. And then he asks this, Is God judging us individually today in this time of grace, judging our hearts instead of by the position of authority that we may have today? Uh, not sure if I understand your question correctly. The, the reference to a king, we don't have kings, we have a president. But at least in principle, the word king and the word president are interchangeable. So um, by fearing the Lord, 
Um, we avoid being judged by the Lord in this time of grace. At the same time, unbelievers are still going to be judged by the Lord. God is in the business now, Nacho, of judging, um, first convicting individuals so that they don't have to be judged if they will receive the, the truth. But if we reject the truth, yes, individuals are going to stand before the Lord. Not, not in terms of a position you have, but individuals are going to stand before the Lord and be judged. It's that simple. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's something to consider, Nacho. I think this is in the spirit of your question. The Bible says, too much is given, much is required. And the idea there is much more is required. And that's not just believers. That's unbelievers as well. When you see a believer uh, who is um, uh, walking with the truth and at the same time is drifting off into sin, um, that person is going to be held accountable. Now, his salvation or her salvation is not going to be judged because that's already been settled if they're truly born again. But they're going to face dire consequences. In the same way, unbelievers who have been given much by God. Donald Trump has been given the ability by God to make a lot of money. Um, he, he has been given a position of authority. God says very clearly that rulers are to be fair and just rulers. They're to benefit the people, not to harm them. And so they have a great responsibility, a great privilege, but great responsibility. Uh, we can apply this the same thing to uh, famous athletes or movie stars or rock stars, you know, the people that have talent. God gave them that talent, and they're going to be held more accountable on the Day of Judgment, and their judgment will be more severe than the judgment of somebody who just kind of struggled through in this life and never really had anything. So nobody gets away with anything, Nacho, and and every one of us as individuals is going to stand before the Lord. I hope that makes sense. Your question was a little bit general, but I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Zachary. He said, oh, this is what I did yesterday. I know what I wanted to do with it. Zachary, I apologize. Uh, I didn't spend, we, we had a call right at the end yesterday, so I had to cut this question off pretty short. His question was, it seems that Christians aren't that interested in sound doctrine, and what do I think is the cause of that? Um, quickly, with no explanation yesterday, Zachary, I said I thought there were two basic causes. Sound doctrine's hard. Sound doctrine tells us what to do. Sound doctrine tells us what not to do. And when our flesh wants to do something we're told not to do, well, you know, we just kind of discard the doctrine. I have a question, I don't know if I'll get to it today, uh, but a question that was sent in about women pastors. That's that's biblical doctrine, and we ignore it all the time. We have doctrine that says, wives, submit to your husbands is unto the Lord. I can't tell you how many billions of women have thrown that scripture right out of the Bible. It's just because they don't like it, because it makes them uncomfortable. Men, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. In other words, putting her needs ahead of yours. Men just ignore that. We love the woman submit, or wives submit to your husbands, but we don't like the one that says, no, we have to put her needs ahead of ours. And so because sound doctrine is difficult, we just sort of dismiss it. And your characterization of not being interested in it, I think, fits perfectly, Zachary. Now, the cause of it, I think, is... Twofold. One, uh, as it relates to the last answer, our flesh is so powerful, and there's no way without sound doctrine to combat our flesh. And so the flesh wins. I also think the church at large, Zachary, bears a great responsibility here. I think there's so many pastors who are going to stand before God, and he's going to ask them, okay, so why were you ashamed of me? Why didn't you tell them what I told you to tell them? Or why didn't you tell them the whole truth? Well, you know, Lord, our church was growing, and none of that's going to work. I didn't want to hurt any feelings. I wanted to, 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 to want, uh, hope that people would come back. None of that's going to work. And we churches, many of us, have stopped preaching from the Bible. We talk about the Bible. But we don't teach it. We talk about topics instead of really declaring the holiness of God. 
And if we don't teach it, people won't get excited by it. You know, Zachary, one of the things that I like the most about what I do is I teach the Bible and then the Holy Spirit quickens people's minds and hearts and they really get interested in it. I had a meeting just today with a man who um, is being asked to teach the Bible. And he's, you know, sort of, I never dreamed that could be possible. I never would have dared believe that. He said, you know, I never wanted to promote myself. Well, God is moving him. And what he's finding out is that as the Bible is taught, there's people like this man who get excited by it. They ask God to show them their gifts. And we need to utilize the gifts that God has given every one of us. And when we're not teaching the Bible soundly, when we're not teaching the Bible systematically, well, I think we're depriving people of the opportunity to find out exactly what God wants to do with them. So sound doctrine doesn't sell well, but it lives really well if you understand that comment. So Zachary, sorry it took two days, and yesterday I didn't have time to deal with it. Tom says, I think it's wrong to proselytize, that is to try to win people to Christ, in countries that are already firmly established in their own religion. Why would it be okay to unsettle settled faith traditions? Well, Tom, there's a couple things that we have to realize here. One, Jesus is disruptive. It's that simple. Jesus is disruptive. He said, I didn't come to bring families together. I came to divide families. He said, people hated me. They will hate you. So whenever we're doing what we're supposed to do, people are going to get upset. That's just what happens. If you've ever been in a really dark room and then had somebody just suddenly shine a bright flashlight in your eyes, it hurts. Well, that's what happens when light goes into darkness. Now, Tom, your question is worded in such a way that if you are a Christian, it seems like you really don't get the message. It seems almost like you're embarrassed of your Jesus, like you really don't think people are going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, if they're not born again. If you don't believe those things, then whatever faith you're holding on to isn't real. And see, that's the thing for me. When I find somebody who is established firmly, your words, in another religious tradition, all I can see is people that are going to go to hell forever and ever. And Tom, your question presupposes that as long as people are good and as they're religious and if they're sincere, that they're somehow going to make to heaven. But Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through him. Earlier I mentioned the verse, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When people who don't know Jesus make that confession, it's going to be the most terrible moment in the history of their lives and then bound into hell for eternity. Tom, they're going to suffer forever and ever and ever. So I would change your question. It's wrong if we don't share our faith in countries already firmly established in the religion. It doesn't matter whether we unsettle people's lives or their families. Christ is an offense. Acts chapter 1 verse 18 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And get this, into the ends of the earth. That's Jesus speaking. In Acts, I'm sorry, not in Acts, in, in the, the little treasure of Philemon, Paul in the sixth verse, writes to Philemon, who is a pastor, by the way, he says, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. So, Tom, somebody who takes your approach and doesn't want to upset people, you don't get it. You don't, you don't understand what our faith really is. So it's wrong if we don't proselytize. I'm going to bring it a little closer to home, Tom. 
You need to tell your neighbors. You need to tell people when you go to the store. You need to tell people when you're out in a restaurant. If you really love people, then you want them in heaven. And since Jesus is the only way to heaven, remember Christ is an offense. And that's got to be okay with us. That's got to be okay with us. 340-9585. You know, Tom, you can read the book of Acts. Paul's entire missionary agenda, three missionary trips, had one goal, and that's to proselytize. Tell everybody about Jesus. Not only that, but Paul, you remember, was always longing to go proclaim the name of Christ where nobody had ever heard of him before. That's our job. And to take your approach, Tom, causes me concern about where your heart is with Jesus. You know, I've had questions like this um, with some regularity on this program. And it always sort of shakes me to my core a little bit because I realize how many professing Christians out there really and truly don't believe the truth of our Bibles. They don't believe Jesus. It's impossible for somebody who has the Spirit of God living in them not to be moved by the fact that people are dying and going to hell. Juan asked a question. We're inside, I think, five minutes for this half of the program, and phones are quiet. 340-9585. Juan asks, Pastor Ron, is it okay to go to a church where there is a teaching pastor, but who doesn't interact with the people? Juan, I I wouldn't like that. I I guess it's okay to go to a church uh, like that. Uh, I personally wouldn't want to be in a church where uh, I couldn't have access to the pastor. Uh, I realize churches get really big in a pastor's time. Um, uh, it's really hard to to, to budget. Um, but, you know, one of the responsibilities that I have, now I've got a pastoral staff, so everybody in our church can talk to a pastor, but I want everybody to feel like they can talk to me if they really need to. And my pastoral staff, they know that I'm not hiding from anybody. I don't need to be shielded or protected from I want to be able to talk to them. Now, if somebody is a teaching pastor, they're simply a talking head. And I would I would separate the two job offices. I was talking to a man today, and I was telling him that, you know, you can be called to be a teacher and not be a pastor, but you can't be called to be a pastor without also having the gift to teach, at least not called by God. And when you've got a guy who all he does is appear on the stage and then disappear off the stage and you don't have any access, it's hard to call that man a pastor. So it's okay. I I recognize that it is a style of ministry that has become pretty normal in the United States, uh, especially with the advent of of celebrity pastors and mega churches. Um, but God says in Ephesians chapter 4 that a pastor is his gift to the church. People need to be pastored. It is a sad thing for me when people will tell me, and I get emails like this all the time, well, I consider you my pastor. I can't be your pastor just because I'm a voice on a radio. You need someone who will cry with you when you're hurting. You need someone who will will tell you to suck it up and tough it out when you're going through something that's hard. You need somebody who can put their arms around you when you're filled with grief. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Someone will visit you in a hospital. Teaching is a great job. I love it. But I'm not really comfortable, Juan, just 
teaching but not knowing people. I, I, I want to know people, and I think we do a pretty good job of that here at Calvary Chapel. So, yeah, I guess it's okay, but if I was somebody in that church, I certainly wouldn't want to be unable to get to the pastor. 340-9585. How are we on time? A little under two minutes, a minute and a half? One minute. We just hit one minute. Let me say this then, because I don't have time to keep going. You know, one, when I was um, called to be a pastor and then was really struggling with a Bible college, what to do, what's my next step, I tried to, to, to talk to my pastor. Now this man is now a friend of mine, but uh, I, I couldn't make an appointment with him. His secretary was like... Um, a guard at the gate and I couldn't get it go talk to him at church well I can't talk to him at church there's always people there I just want to talk to him about my plan and, he, and I couldn't get in to see him I don't think that's a healthy thing hey the phones are quiet we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR this is the word to stand up for life we'll be back in two minutes Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. I'm laughing. I'm laughing at myself. Uh, the, the announcer who, who did those spots for the, the opening and the closing of the show uh, is is a, a wonderful guy. He came to our church for a while. He worked, obviously, at KSLR. John White is his name. And that's just like the greatest voice ever. And when we come back from the break and he, he says, the welcome back, I, I always like lip sync it. And I pretend for just a moment that that voice is coming out of me. Instead, I'm stuck with this Winnie the Pooh voice. But uh, John, if you're listening somewhere in the audience, God bless you. We miss you. And and uh, I, I trust that the Lord is treating you well. Here is a question from Julia. She says, in Acts 19, were the disciples in Ephesus believers? If so, why did they not have the Holy Spirit? I think you're on to something there, Julia. They didn't have the Holy Spirit because they weren't believers. Now, you remember, this is Paul's missionary journey. He's been uh, longing to get into uh, Asia Minor. Um, it, it was over and over and over, he tried, and the Spirit kept him from doing it. Finally, the door opened, and it was the door for effective ministry. And in part, this was a ministry. It says they were disciples. Now, when we see that word, we automatically assume believers. But the context makes it clear that they were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, John, long since dead, at the same time, there were always people that, well, I'm a disciple of John the Baptist, and Apollos, the great preacher, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And one day, um, Priscilla and Aquila, um, um, heard him preaching and, and understood that there was something missing from his message. So they explained the way of God to him more perfectly. And and he got saved. Well, the same thing was true in Acts 19. These were disciples of John the Baptist. That would have meant they were going through preaching the, the message of baptism, a baptism of repentance. But it was a message that didn't have all the facts. So when Paul sees him, he also notices that there's something missing. And so he asks him, he said, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Have you had that experience with the Holy Spirit? And he, they said, we, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. So he explained to them. And of course, the great news would have been that the, the Messiah that you're waiting for has already come. And he was crucified, and he didn't stay dead. And he's alive, and now he's drawing men to himself. And when they heard that good news, of course they would be thrilled, and they got saved, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Julia, you're absolutely right. If somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, Jesus says they have no part of him. When we get saved, when we're truly born again, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. 
Ephesians says that we have all of the Holy Spirit we'll ever need, Ephesians and Colossians. Um, and, and then that's new life. That's what it means to be born again. But while these Ephesian disciples of John the Baptist meant well, and they were sort of proceeding with the information they had, and their information was correct, it just wasn't complete because they got only part of the story. I was thinking of Paul Harvey. He says, now the rest of the story, well, the rest of the story was such great news. So um, you're right. Uh, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Uh, they just weren't believers yet, but obviously it was a divine appointment when Paul met them and they gave their heart to, to, to Jesus Christ. Great, great story. The book of Acts, by the way, Julia, is wonderful. I tell our church there are two books in the Bible that every Christian ought to read twice a year. The rest of the time you just read them once, that's fine, but at least twice a year for the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. How the church began and then how the church is going to be taken out of here at the end. And um, in the book of Acts, there's just so many examples of of people coming to Christ who'd never heard about him. I, I think about the Gentile Cornelius. I think about the Samaritans, uh, that, that Philip's ministry was so effective in. And then, of course, the missionary journeys where people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. People had never heard about him. Boy, that would have been an exciting time. I wouldn't have done well because I don't even like to camp. But um, what, what, a, what an exciting time that would have been to live, to see every day people get saved, to see the Spirit of God move in miraculous ways on a nearly everyday basis. It would have been absolutely stunning. Here's a question from Jake. He says, Pastor Ron, why does God answer some people's prayers but not others? I know you will say it's his sovereignty, but it isn't fair if God arbitrarily answers or rejects prayer. Jake, I'm not going to say it's God's sovereignty at all, so you don't know what you think you know. I'll tell you why God answers some people's prayers and not others. It's because God has a plan for people. Now, here's the question that I want you to deal with. Jake, you mentioned prayer. It's not fair if God arbitrarily answers prayers of some and rejects the prayers of others. What's the reason for your prayer? What's the motivation? Are you praying to get God to do stuff for you? Are you praying because you want to be more like Jesus? Are you asking for material things? Are you asking to be rescued from messes that you've made in your life? Are you asking to be delivered from illness? Well, those are the kind of prayers that God is going to answer. But if you ask God, what about me? What about today? He'll answer that prayer. If you ask the Lord, you say, Lord, I want to do your will. Show me your will. If you're obedient, you'll know what God wants. Your prayers will be answered. You know, I was thinking today, Jake, not about your question, but I was thinking about this as I was um, just in my time alone with the Lord this morning. Uh, I, I was just thinking, our prayer time, do we pray more for ourselves or do we pray more for others? Now, when I thought the Spirit of God was sort of asking that question, I had to really dig in and be honest. And, and I told him, I, I said, Lord, you know that I rarely pray for myself. I, I pray for some things, but but I don't pray for me very often. I'm praying for your people. I'm praying for your will to be done. So when I'm praying for uh, my time with the Lord, uh, it's focused on other people. Um, sure, there's some prayers. I pray that my health would be good so I can do the work. I pray that Paula's health will be good so that we can finish our course together, finish well, better than we started. So I pray for those things. I, I ask the Lord to hold me steady so that I don't start leaning and, and, and drifting away. But that doesn't take a long time in my prayers because I immediately want to go to other people. And I think, Jake, if you would start praying for others instead of praying for you, I think you get a lot of your prayers answered. 
And let me say one other thing. There's no arbitrary answers or rejections of prayer. If you're praying for something, God knows it's not good for you, it's not going to draw you closer to Him, then He's not going to answer the prayer. And that's His purpose. And because He owns us, He has every right to do that. If you ask for something in the will of God, Jesus says you can't miss getting your prayer answered. We have what we ask for. So all we got to do is figure out a way to pray in the will of God. Jake, let me give you one other clue. You want to know what the will of God is? Read your Bible. The will of God is spread all through that. When you're reading the Bible and it is God's will, and I'm not saying this is true about you, Jake. I'm just using it as an example. Uh, it is God's will that we flee from sexual immorality. It's God's will that our speech is filled with grace. It's God's will that we're kind and gentle and loving. If, if, if you're doing those things, well, then your prayers are going to get answered. If you're not, it's kind of nervy even to ask, isn't it? What do you want from me, Lord? I told you, I want your heart. If we don't want to give him our heart, he's not going to answer our prayers. So, Jake, there's nothing arbitrary at all about God's answers or rejections of your prayers. One final thought, Jake, and this is a warning to you. When you start charging God with not being fair, you're in really, really dangerous spiritual ground. God is the only one who's fair. So I would repent of even asking the question. I would open my Bible and let Jesus or the Apostle Paul teach me how to pray. And I would set my heart and my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you watch how quickly your prayer life changes when you're not praying for you, but you're praying for other people. Hope that makes sense to you, Jake. I'll be praying for you. Here is a question from Greg. He said, Pastor Ron, why did Jesus use parables? They're confusing instead of him just speaking clearly or directly. Um, Greg, they're confusing to us because we don't live in that culture. That was an agrarian uh, culture. Um, and all of the parables, when, when Jesus was um, speaking them, um, his audiences, all of them, understood completely what he was saying. He was using illustrations to make the point that supported his teaching. You know, Greg, you and I, we, we might, uh, to make a point, might use a sports analogy. Or we might have an illustration that just fits the, the, the topic that we're talking about perfectly. And people would say, yeah, now I get it. Well, that's exactly what it was when Jesus was teaching. So he wasn't confusing them. Now we're confused because we don't understand the cultural frame of the par of, of the parables. We don't understand um, what life was like two thousand years ago. But they did. Let me give you an example: the parable of the sower. Jesus was was teaching on a plane. He would. Uh, 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 looked out over that plain from, from the, the uh, edge of the sea. And uh, in the background, he would have seen birds everywhere. Why would the birds be there? The birds were there because the farmers were scattering their seed. And the birds are trying to pick up the seed. And at that moment, we know under orders from his Father in heaven, he said, I'll use that as an illustration. And it perfectly fits the message that he was proclaiming. So he used parables. You might be confused, but they weren't. They understood exactly what he was saying and to whom he was talking. Um, our culture, we use different illustrations or analogies. So, Greg, I hope that helps. Here is a question from Brady. 
Brady asks, should churches with women pastors be disfellowshipped from their denomination? Brady, let me say, uh, churches should not have women pastors. You know that, and I know that. The problem is that it's their denominations that have sort of thrown out the word of God, and they're the ones that are ordaining women to be pastors. So uh, what ought to happen is everybody in that church ought to disfellowship the church. Not the people in it. I don't mean that in a mean way. What it means is when, when you've got a church that no longer holds to the inerrancy of Scripture, when you've got a church that explains away clear direction, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church, um, then you need to move on from that fellowship. And tragically, you know, liberal theology has abounded in denominations. And many once faithful and fruitful Christian denominations no longer are. Now we've got some of those denominations not only ordaining women, but ordaining active homosexuals as pastors. It's up to the people we're sitting in the pews of those churches, Brady, to find another fellowship where Jesus is really ruling and reigning. Brady, this isn't directed at you, just in general at the office. These questions about the LGBTQ move into churches, the onslaught of women pastors, now becoming almost commonplace. These questions get asked all the time, yet people don't do anything about them. i got to tell you, it's the simplest way to affect a change in your church is to stop going. You can be changed by listening to the truth, but if enough people leave a false teaching church, then there's nobody there in the pews, and it's just a building. So this is something that we really, really need to understand, it's our responsibility, Brady, as Christians to hold on to the Word and to live our lives in pursuit of the truth of the Word. Otherwise, we're all settling for less than God's best. For the life of me, I can never understand why anybody would do that. Why would you settle for a church with a woman pastor? She might be a gifted speaker. She might be somebody who loves God with all of her heart. But she's operating in her own strength instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is that without the Spirit of God, there's nothing that can be accomplished. And again, I'm shocked the numbers of people over the years who tell me, yeah, I know it's not right, but you know, that's my church. It's like, well, why are you going to church? So, it's not a matter of disfellowshipping women pastors, Brady. It's a matter of turning back to the Word of God. 340-9585. We haven't had our phones this quiet for a long time. Maybe this is just what December is going to be like, huh? Here is a question from Peter. He asks, should unbelievers be permitted to take communion? The answer is no, Peter. Now, we can't stop anybody. It's not like we give people a quiz and ask them to fill out this form and let's see if they're really Christians before we pass out the communion elements. And in a large church, we have a lot of people who come here. Uh, There's no way of knowing everybody and their stories. What I do every communion Sunday, we just had communion this past Sunday, Peter, um, as the ushers are finishing passing out the elements, uh, I let people know that that communion is a family celebration. Um, If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have no intention of giving your heart to Jesus Christ, rather than take the elements because everybody else is, it would be better for you just to pass on the elements altogether and Tell them we'll be dismissing in a few moments, so just sit tight. Um, And then I give them the opportunity to become Christians. But no, unbelievers have no 
reason to partake of communion? Unbelievers need to be instructed about the warnings of taking communion in an unworthy manner. Um, but the minute they give their heart to Jesus, then I tell them they're the guest of honor at the Lord's table. So Peter, that's a pretty simple question. I hope that answers. Here is a question from Jeannie. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is your view on women taking supervision roles at work or in government? Uh, Jeannie, I have no problem with that. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Bible teaches only in two places is the order of God um, supposed to be established um, clearly and firmly. And that's in the home, the Christian home. The husband is the head of the household spiritually. Not because he's smarter, because he's more spiritual, but because that's what God said. And in the church, that means a woman who is a supervisor at work, well, as a Christian, you work as unto the Lord. You work to make her look good. You you work because she's worked hard for that position. And, and uh, God wants to bless her as well. Whether or not she's a Christian, he wants her to become one. So um, there's no problem at all with women taking on supervision roles at work. Um, the same thing is true in government. God doesn't have any rules for a godless government, so it's perfectly okay if, in fact, um, a woman wants to be a president. Uh, we're going to have a woman president. I don't know when it'll be, but we're going to have a woman president. And that's perfectly acceptable to the Lord. So remember, God only makes rules for his own house. Whether it's your personal home or his house, the church, those are the rules. Women are free to do anything and everything they want. God is not a discriminator. God um, doesn't favor men, women, slave free, Jew or Gentile. So if you have a woman who is your boss, be a blessing to her. Um, I hope one day we'll have a woman who loves God with all of her heart who will be uh, the president of this country. Josh asked this question. Makes a statement first. I don't think churches should be tax exempt. What would change if the church loses its exemption? Josh, actually it would be a disaster. Let me explain to you why and why I think churches should be tax-exempt. Um, the money that comes to us in an offering um, is a gift. Um, churches are assumed to do good things with those gifts. And way back when the tax exemption was established, the government um, wanted to encourage giving to churches because that way the churches would be doing some of the things that uh, the government wouldn't have to do then. I'll give you an example, just our church with our medical clinic. Um, we have a free doctor's office, family practice doctor's office. Nobody ever pays a dime. We don't take insurance. It's 100% free, 100% supported by our church. Well, if there were laws that discourage people from giving, it would be hard to do those things. The other thing that is important Churches without a tax exemption would have to pay property tax. And there are cynics, even some Christians, unfortunately, say, well, we have to pay property tax. Churches should have to pay. Well, well, wouldn't you rather the money that God has go to the work of God? So these are just blessings that we have. And if there were no tax exemptions... Um, a whole bunch of money that now benefits people would only be sent back to the government. I would hate to think what would happen to giving. I know what I'm saying here is sort of a an ominous statement because it doesn't speak too well of the churches of Jesus Christ. But I think if there weren't a tax exemption, um, far fewer people would give. And churches would really be in trouble. 
So that tax exemption matters, Josh. It is a right in this country, and no Christian should ever um, be hostile toward the idea of a church having a, a tax exemption. You know, December, uh, for every church, I'm sure is the case, but certainly uh, it has been in our um, history, December um, is by far our biggest giving month. Now, you know, we never ask for money, but, but December, just the fact of the life, is our biggest giving month ever. And part of the reason is people are looking at their income, they're trying to figure out their taxes, they're trying to figure out deductions, and, and the churches benefit marvelously as a result. And I sure wouldn't want to see that stop because ministry costs a lot of money. So I hope that makes sense to you, Josh, but please um, don't get caught up in those churches should not be tax-exempt, 5013Cs, uh, corporations. They should be separate from the government. No, we take all the blessings that we can get as a result. And when people give, um, they get to take more deductions. That means they get more. That means they can give more, and it, it just works like that. So, Josh, I hope that answers your question. Well, we're about out of time today. We don't have time to start with another question. Let me thank you for tuning in. The phones were so quiet today. All I could hear was me talking. Um, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Fall more in love with Jesus than ever before. I'll see you tomorrow at 4. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.